Academy Museum presents a history of the Navy in 100 objects. As we move into World War II in our narrative of the Navy's history, we start at the conflict's beginning, Pearl Harbor. Today, we first feature a segment from the Navy History and Heritage Command's History miniseries. Then, we take a closer look at one of the many American heroes who emerged during the attack. And finally, we conclude with Dr. Scott Harmon and our object today. In the fall of 1941, as Hitler extended his conquest of Europe, America began to challenge the growing German U-boat menace in the Atlantic with an unofficial naval war. In Asia, the U.S. exerted political and economic pressure on Japan to end its four-year war with China and recent occupation of French Indochina. Receiving no acceptable Japanese response, the U.S., on November 26th, issued an ultimatum to Japanese leaders to cease hostilities and withdraw their forces or face continued economic sanctions. Japan's leaders decided to fight instead. Admiral Yamamoto, commander of the Japanese fleet, had serious misgivings. Because of America's industrial superiority, Japan would have to win the war very quickly. Because of those misgivings, he insisted on opening the war with a crippling attack on the U.S. Pacific Fleet at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. A strike force of six carriers under command of Admiral Nagumo moved east across the Pacific toward Hawaii. Based on decoded Japanese diplomatic message traffic, the Navy issued a war warning to all commands on November 27th. It was the latest in a series of alerts. In the afternoon of December 6th, Admiral Nagumo, commander of the Japanese strike force, received an intelligence report about Pearl Harbor. The American battleships were present, but the fleet's aircraft carriers were at sea. Although disappointed at the carrier's absence, Nagumo's orders were clear. He must still attack and destroy whatever battleships and combat aircraft that were at Pearl Harbor. That night, Nagumo's ships turned south and increased speed, arriving at a point 230 miles north of Oahu before dawn on December 7th. After a final reconnaissance showed the Americans at Pearl still appeared unprepared for an attack, Nagumo, at 6 a.m., gave the order to launch. The first wave of 182 aircraft swooped over the islands and attacked as the American base was just coming to life on a Sunday morning. The Japanese pilots immediately zeroed in on the line of dark gray ships anchored along Battleship Row. The Oklahoma took three torpedo hits in quick succession and began to capsize. At the same time, the West Virginia was hit by several torpedoes. The Arizona was hit by two bombs, one of which struck the forward magazine, causing a spectacular explosion. The Arizona quickly sank, killing more than 1,000 crew members. The California, at the head of Battleship Row, also sank. The Nevada was able to get underway for a short time, but it too was sinking and had to be beached. The Maryland and the Tennessee were damaged. The attackers also managed to destroy most American planes as they sat on runways, preventing any major counterattack. A second wave of Japanese planes added to the success of the first. The U.S. Pacific Fleet, caught off guard in a surprise attack, was in a state of shock. America was now at war. Yesterday, December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America 
was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The facts of yesterday and today speak for themselves. We will gain the inevitable triumph, so help us God. While the devastation at Pearl Harbor was significant, it was far from complete. The two U.S. carriers at sea that day, soon to be joined by a third, would make life difficult for the Japanese Navy in the months to come. And Yamamoto's fears proved correct. The attack had indeed aroused the American public, who rallied to the war effort with new determination and who vowed to remember Pearl Harbor. By the raid's end, over 2,000 Americans had been killed and the U.S. surface fleet decimated. However, thousands of stories of heroism emerged that day and 15 medals of honor were awarded to Navy sailors. One of the sailors who rose to fame that day for his heroism was Cook 3rd Class Doris Dory Miller. Miller, an African-American, had joined the Navy in 1939 to travel and earn money for his family in Waco, Texas. He was the heavyweight boxing champion aboard the USS West Virginia and was collecting laundry when the Japanese attacked. His own battle station damaged by one of the Japanese torpedoes that slammed into the ship, Miller assisted the mortally wounded ship's captain and then manned one of the ship's Browning 50 caliber anti-aircraft guns until he ran out of ammunition and was ordered to abandon ship. For his actions during the battle, Miller was awarded the Navy Cross by Admiral Nimitz, commander of the Pacific Fleet, on board USS Enterprise in 1942. Speaking of Miller, Nimitz remarked that this marks the first time in this conflict that such high tribute has been made in the Pacific Fleet to a member of his race, and I'm sure that the future will see others similarly honored for brave acts. By the end of the attack at Pearl Harbor, Miller's ship, West Virginia, was hit by five torpedoes and two armor-piercing bombs. These bombs were equipped with small, propeller-looking devices called arming vanes. Although rudimentary, this small piece of the bomb fuse was the precursor to today's advanced navigation and arming systems that are deployed on smart bombs and missiles around the world. Mechanically, it was a very simple concept. When the bomb was released, the vane spun like a propeller as a result of the airflow from the bomb's freefall. As it spun, it turned a mechanical counter, and when a certain number of revolutions was reached, the initiator and booster charges were ignited, permitting the bomb to detonate. However, even though the bombs could now be timed, thus preventing them from going off until desired, they still lacked internal guidance to get them to the target. Therefore, they still required a human pilot to drop them at the desired location. For a little bit more about our object today, and the impact that the attack had on both the outcome of the war and the future of the Navy, we go now to Dr. Scott Harmon, retired director of the Naval Academy Museum. This time we're going to talk about a very mundane item. It looks like a propeller. It's the arming vane from a bomb dropped by a plane in the attack on Pearl Harbor, a Japanese plane. This attack uh, really created a shift in 
uh, the strategic outlook of the United States Navy. Up to this point, most senior American naval officers thought that the battleship was going to be the first line of naval defense and offense. But with the loss of so much of the battle line, more emphasis had to be placed on aircraft carriers to take the war to the enemy. This was a major shift in outlook for the United States. And the carriers become more and more important. And in five principal naval battles, uh, carriers were the important uh, uh, first line ships uh, from uh, the Battle of the Coral Sea to the Battle of the Philippine Sea. Uh, these carried the war to the enemy and destroyed the enemy's naval force. And the arming vein is symbolic of that shift. It was taking a projectile uh, to the enemy and by an airplane instead of being fired from a gun.